Welcome to the Glass Half Empty podcast on The Big Lead. I'm Ryan Glassbegall. Today's guest needs no introduction. Longtime ESPN college basketball announcer, Dick Vitale. Dickie V, how are you doing today? Doing really great, man. Just enjoying life and really uh, excited about uh, March Madness. I think it's going to be a wild journey to the run for the national championship. So it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. Excited. I'm excited, too. Yesterday, you tweeted that it was the 27th anniversary of the first ESPYs show and your introduction to Jimmy V, where he gave the famous Don't Ever Give Up speech, and that that's led to over $250 million raised through the V Foundation. Can you talk about some of your work with the V Foundation and what some of the tangible results have been? You know, Ryan, uh, I'm involved basically pediatrics. The $250 million is for every form of cancer. I mean, what a legacy when you think about it. Jimmy V, you know, running around the court, looking for somebody to hug, wins the national championship in 83. To me, that's not his legacy. His legacy is going to be all the lives that he has touched for years and years and years through research for every form of cancer, whether it be prostate, whether it be colon, breast, lung, whatever. But mine is directed towards pediatrics. Uh, they have the Dick Vitale uh, Family Pediatric Fund there with the V Foundation. And every dollar I raise, and I'm very proud to say this, Ryan, we've raised my team, and I have really gone out 24-7 working at it, and we've raised $29.5 million thus far, and we hope to add another $5 million this year. So if you could tell all your people out there, if they want to join my team and want to be part of us and make a donation, they just got to go to DickVitale.com. DickVitale.com. It goes through the V Foundation. Every book I have, hats, basketballs that I sell there, every dollar that I would make, every dollar, not 60 cents, 80 cents, every dollar goes in that pot of my goal this year, $5 million. You're the subject of a really well-done profile by Seth Davis at The Athletic that published on Wednesday. One of the things that I found interesting about it, and I'm not sure that it's unique to you or if it's something that really all coaches go through, is that when you were a coach, especially of the Detroit Pistons, you took the losses really hard. Is there any way for you to quantify how much more a loss hurt than a win felt good? You know, I really, it's unbelievable. My wife would tell you, even till this day, that's one thing I wish I, in a way, I guess it's made me what I am, but really, I, I can't stand losing. I, I just hate always, you know, not being successful in whatever I do in life. If I give a speech, I want to do it the best I've ever done. If I don't do whatever, raising dollars, I want to get more tomorrow than I did yesterday. I've been born that way, and that's what really drove me in, in coaching. In fact, a lot of people don't notice, Ryan, but the owner, Bill Davidson, he was a great owner, great owner. He would come to me all the time and say, Dick, you're your biggest enemy. You want to win today? We know it's going to take us five years. We hired you. Your enthusiasm, energy, what you did with the university. We witnessed, but you want to get it done today. And I used to say to him, I can coach on blue in the face. We can't beat Kareem in the Lakers. We can't beat Dr. J in the Sixers. I need players. I was always impatient. I was always about success, success, success. I coached in junior high, was lucky enough to have some great kids, and we won big. Then I went to high school. We won back-to-back state championships, went undefeated. I went 35-0 and 0, uh, my last year. And then I go to the uh, Rutgers, and we go out and we recruit the best players around, and we have an incredible class that leads Rutgers to the Final Four in 1976. Phil Sellers, Mike Dabney, 
and everything that I get the University of Detroit job, they tell me you're not going to get anybody in the arena. There were a lot of racial problems at the time in Detroit. Nobody's going to come back to the city. I said, nonsense. If you give people a product and you give them success, these people are going to come, man. And they came. We sold out some games and had a great time, beat some great teams like Michigan and Michigan State and Arizona. And we went to the Sweet 16 by last year. won 21 in a row and had beaten the, uh, the champs that year. <clears throat> won the title in, in March after we had beaten them in February, Marquette and Al McGuire. So I was used to success. And then all of a sudden, man, I go to the Pistons and I'm losing more games in a week than you lose all year, basically. And and it just was, it took its toll on me. It really did. And my wife kept telling me, Lorraine, she kept saying to me, Rich, you can't, never was Dick, Rich, Rich, you can't keep telling the owner that you can't win. You can't keep doing it. Finally, on November 8, 1979, came in my house and he said, I hate to do this, Dick. I hate to, but I have to make a coaching change. But I want you to stay with the organization, executive position, vice president, such and so. I don't know what it was. I, I never let it get there. I said, I'm not interested at all. I cried like a baby. You know, I was, I had a say in a buddy he gave me growing up in Jersey, a boy, a ball, a dream. Dreaming with my basketball, chasing my dreams. I was no great player. I didn't know anybody, Ryan. I, I just kept working and working and finally got a lucky break. No, that that it, it was really fascinating story. And another thing that I wondered, and I know this is a little bit of a personal question, given that we've just met, but you you talk about those downs, and there's a lot of stories about the the way that you really that grief really affects you. But then you also have this really sunny, bubbly personality. You told me off air that you don't feel 80 years old, you feel 12. So you have really high highs and really low lows. I'm wondering, do you ever have a middle where you just feel okay? Yeah, Fab, really, television's done that for me. I don't have half the highs and lows that I had in the past. TV, I'm a winner, man. I got the best record in all of basketball. I got a better record than Krzyzewski. He's got a thousand <laughs> some wins. I got more, and I've never lost the game. I've never lost the game. I leave with a W every day, man. So, no, I, it, it, yeah, this changed my life. I firmly believe, had I stayed in coaching and went where my first goal was after the NBA, I wanted to get back where I could control it. See, a lot of people don't realize, unless you get a good team in the NBA. I mean, the NBA is about players, man. Take a look this year. You can see it very simply. How come Steve Kerr is not as good as he was a year ago? Why? Very simple. No Curry, no Thompson, no Durant. The bottom line is you got to have players in that league, and they'd be the first to tell you. Then it's your job to blend those players together to get them to, to be motivated and inspired. Well, in college, you can control a lot of what you have because you can go out and recruit some players quickly. You can't with the contracts and all in the NBA. So it's a whole different animal. But I firmly believe, had I stayed in coaching, Ryan, I think I've been dead by 50. I really do. I've lived a great life. ESPN has been my second family. I've made friends there and colleagues there that are just so good to me. They've treated me like royalty. The presidents there have been great to me. Uh, President George Bodenheim when he was there, and certainly John Skipper, and then now uh, Jimmy Pataro. I mean, they basically told me you got a lifetime contract. You know, you, as long as you can work and you want to work, uh, there's a job for you. And I, I don't know when it's going to end, but I know it's going to be a, a, a very, very sad moment for me today. i got to say that the party's over. It's done. But I work very hard at preparing. Knowing my, I've never had a career 
critic ever. You know, some critics, when I started, he's loud, he talks a lot. Well, you know what? Some people want to try it because it's worked for me pretty good, man. Because I'm talking to you, Ryan. I'm looking at a lot of Hall of Fame things in my office here. And I don't say it to brag. I said it to be proud. And, and along the way, I took some shots, and there's no question. But you know what? No one has ever, 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 I've read any critique ever say he's not knowledgeable, not afraid to give an opinion, and that he's not prepared. And to me, that is the key. Because you know and I know in our business, you just can't please everybody. You just can't do it. It's not possible. You're completely right. So you've been at ESPN over 40 years. You were one of their very early employees in 1979. What was the moment where you took a look around ESPN and realized that it was the biggest entity in sports media. Well, you know, it really hit me. For me personally, I really wanted to get back in college coaching. And my boss who hired me, Scotty Connell, uh, Scotty is a legend in the world of television as a producer for years. He was with NBC, and when he took over ESPN in charge of the remotes, he told me after I did my first telecast, I mean, I didn't know nothing about TV. When he called me up, actually, I got fired in November 8, 1979. I remember that as well as I remember uh, my wedding anniversary. But the bottom line is... When I got fired, about 10 days later, he called me and he said, you know, Dick, uh, we got a new network I'm in charge of. I don't know if you remember me, he said, but I was the third guy that was with John Wooden and Kurt Gowdy when we were at your practice session before you played Michigan in the NCAAs. They were number one in the country, and we were the kid on the block, and we beat them my first year as a coach when they had the great Campanella Russell and Johnny Orr. And we beat them, and we couldn't get them back on the schedule. So here it is. <laughs> David, David and Goliath going to play now the Can Dodgers. We won 21 in a row that year, and we're, they match us up that we get to the Sweet 16, we play them. So sure enough, it becomes a reality. It's at Rupp Arena. I walk in. I can't believe the practice I see sitting there. Oh, my God. John Wood and Kurt Gowdy. I'm a sports fanatic, so Kurt Gowdy, he did every major event you could think of on NBC from the World Series right down. So I, I, he came over to me, Scott, and he says, they'd like to talk to you, Dick, because they're going to be the announcers for tomorrow's game. Oh, my God. I called my team over, and I gave them like a five-minute talk defining greatness. I said, we all utilize that term so loosely in the world of sports, but this epitomizes greatness. All kinds of Emmy Awards, Kurt Gowdy, John Wooden, 10 national championships. Well, he said he wrote my name down because when he left the arena that night after we played, we got beaten a heartbreaking loss in the last minute or two. I think it ended up four-point difference or five, but it, it was like right down the wire. And we took so much out of Michigan, they got upset 36 hours later by Cornbread Maxwell in North Carolina, Charlotte, to go to the Final Four. So anyway, and Marquette wins the national title that year. We had beaten them up in Milwaukee. So we thought we could win it all. But we lose a heartbreaker. Well, I get fired. He calls me up and he says, Dick, you're not going to remember me, but I was with Kirk Gowdy and John Wooden. When we left the arena, he said, Kirk Gowdy. And John Wooden said, we love that guy's energy and enthusiasm and his passion. I was in my 30s. And he said, uh, uh, you should think about him on TV. So I wrote your name down. 
Well, I'd just been named the head of a new network along with Chet Simmons. We're going from NBC to ESPN. I said to him, ESPN, sounds like a disease. I said, right, that, that became a funny line at ESPN. I said, sounds like a disease. What is ESPN? I'm not interested. I was so depressed, as, as Seth said in his column that he wrote about me, the story. You know, I was sitting home watching Luke and Lauren. If it wasn't for my wife, who practically kicks you, you're violating everything from the time I knew you, always about pride and passion with your players, work ethic. Here you are feeling sorry for yourself. And she was right. You know, you got two choices. I tell people I do loads of motivational speaking across the country. I've been for 30 years at the Washington Speakers Bureau. And I tell people, you know, when things get tough, you got two choices. One, you can roll over, feel sorry for yourself, or two, pick up the pieces. Well, I'm lucky he called me back. About 10 days later, I went and I did that first game. And if you would tell me, Ryan, 41 years are going to be in a bank for me when I finish doing the Final Four on ESPN International, that'll be my 41st year done. I can't believe it. I don't know where the time's gone because when you're doing something you love and you're working, don't tell my bosses, Ryan. I hope they're not listening. I love everybody <laughs> I ESPN. I are listening. No, no, but, but I don't want to tell them, Ryan, but I'm stealing money, man. When you do something you love and you get paid for it. My father and mother worked. They worked in a factory pressing coats, as Seth talked about. And my mother sewed coats until she had a stroke. And she then would, you know, do sew, uh, sewing coats. My father would bring them home down in her cellar. And I, I learned all from that. I, they had a doctorate of love. My parents weren't uneducated. But as I tell people all the time, they had a doctorate of love. We were always part of it. I lost my eyes as a kid. And my mom and dad never once allowed me to feel sorry. Always kept saying Richie. He was never Dick. Richie. Richie, you could be somebody. you got something they can't hold back. Your energy, your enthusiasm. Don't get down and... You know, so we all have bumps and bruises. I, I, I didn't know, you know, all that stuff that Seth wrote because he spent a couple of days with me talking, et cetera, and, and I thought it was more about TV, but he really got into about some of the, you know, some of the things of bumps and bruises because I think a lot of people think that sometimes when you're in TV like I've been, that you live this unbelievable life with no pain, no hurt, no, no problems. We have the same problems everybody else has. Right. And I, it, it was a great story. And it, it's like very interesting how you got to ESPN. I'm interested in when was the moment you knew, though, that ESPN was a juggernaut? I knew that basically for me when I went to my first Final Four in 1983, when Jimmy V cut the nets down and won the title. I was assigned to the Final Four that year, do you know, uh, before game interviews and all that jazz. And we had studios set up and Man, people coming over for pictures and autographs. And in fact, Scotty Connors always say to me, "Don't go to coaching, Dick. You got something that can't be taught. You connect with people." And I never knew what the heck he meant. I, I, I you know, connect with people. I said, "Yeah, you connect with whether they agree with you or disagree." This injury with Dick Vitale said he said this, he said that. That's a special gift. Stay here. You're gonna make a hell of a living. You gotta. So anyway. I'm at the Final Four, and finally, you know, I'm getting all these pictures, autographs that were playing Houston for the national championship, Lajuan, all those great players, Drexler, and people coming over for pictures, autographs, and finally, you know, Scotty Connell told me, Jesus, see, this is what you mean, what I mean about connecting. You connect. Don't leave it. So right then and there, things began to break for me with commercials and books and never even look back to go coaching, even though I have one thing I do all the time. I never watch the winning coach. Never. 
never after a game. I always watch the guy who has lost the game, take that handshake and walk to that loser's locker room. It is the most empty feeling, unless you've done it, unless you've been there, it's the most empty feeling to a guy that puts his heart and soul all week preparing for a game, and then bam, you lose. Now you're going to face the media, the alumni, parents complaining that kids not getting playing time. I don't need that anymore, baby. I don't need that. I, I know you've got to go in a couple minutes. No, that's I okay. Couple... I got a few. I got a few more I, minutes, Ryan. I got, I got I, a couple I, quick. I, I got ten more minutes if you want. Okay, great. Um, do you recall the first time you ever called somebody a diaper dandy? Who was it and why? Oh my God, I, I couldn't begin to tell you that. No way. I can't even remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> but a diaper dandy, you know, first of all, he's saying diaper dandy, PT period, get me some PT. You know, the kids come up to me all the time if I'm at a restaurant or somebody, am I a diaper dandy? Am I a PT period? Dickie V, am I awesome baby if I go to the airport? Some of the guys working there. And, and you know, I picked that up in a locker room when I was coaching, you know, if a player was upset, coach, I'm not getting no PT, man. And I just trained transferred it all to TV. Now I get player people write me letters and notes with suggestions. I'll use some of the things they'll say and I get all the credit and they don't get any. <laughs> if you were on a desert island with one book, what book would that be that you've read? You know, if there's one thing I'm sad about, uh, is I've not done a lot of reading. I really have. I do a lot of reading in terms of papers and magazines. And my patients are not there. I wish my wife reads unbelievably, reads incredibly. <clears throat> but if I had a book, probably, I, I, I love some of the great books that over the years that you take a look at John Feinstein, The World of Sports has written. Uh, Season on the Brink was certainly a great one. I uh, think about the Vince Lombardi story I read was really great because I thought the world of Vince Lombardi. Um, but basically, I, I'm being honest with you very frankly. There's one thing I miss in life, just sitting and relaxing like my wife does. We're married 48 years. She is so opposite me, man. I'm go, 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 go. And she just, like, we never eat it. I think Seth captured this in the article. We never eat at home. We have this beautiful house and beautiful. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I ate a meal in my house. That is a fact. You're, you're famous for eating breakfast at another broken egg. If I make the pilgrimage there one day, what do I have to order? Yeah, I get some good omelets. I got great pancakes. Uh, really, I, I try to make sure I eat healthy, so I try to always put egg beaters in my omelets and things like that because I want to live, man. So I try to be – I go there, you know. He mentioned that in the, in the article, but I also go – I alternate. I alternate between another broken egg by my house and first watch. Why? Because both of them – both of them support me big time, raising dollars for kids. I'm there, Ryan. I'll be there for two, three hours a day. I do all my work there called coaches. It's like sitting outside, beautiful sunshine. You sit outside, relax, and I call these coaches and do my work, eat, and I also raise money because we put up my books, my hats, my balls. We sell all this merchandise that I get. Every dollar goes to kids battling cancer. So I alternate between both, and they've both been very generous to me. I'll do anything to raise money, man. You name it, and I'm going to do it. Who would be your Mount Rushmore of play-by-play -play people that you've worked with at ESPN? Oh, my God. You want to get me in trouble, Ryan. You want to get me in trouble off the top Bad of the spot. 
<laughs> I've worked with so many Mount Rushmores. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's Brett Musburger. He's got to be on the list, obviously. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to single out. I really don't. I Because, really, these guys have all been great to me. And I have great respect for all of them. You know, I've never considered myself, to be honest with you, Ryan, I've never considered myself a broadcaster. When I got into the, um, I guess, the Broadcasting Hall of Fame about a year ago, Jim Nance was on, got in, and so did Bob Costas. And as I got up and gave my speech, I told the crowd, I said, I was just a jock, man. Somebody gave me a microphone and said, go talk about a game I love. These guys are real broadcasters. I have such respect for guys I work with, Dan Schumann, Bob Wachusen, and all Mike Tariqo. I've worked with Brad Nussler. I mean, Brett Musburger. I even worked with Al Michaels for a game once. It was just a big thrill. Uh, Keith Jackson. I mean, these guys are stars beyond stars. People have no idea. I sit there mesmerized sometimes, watching as I'm doing a game, and in their ears, people will hear, hey, we got to go to this. we got to do this. Make sure you bring this up. Promo this. And it's really an art that we don't have as analysts. I know I, I sit then I tell you why a team's winning, why they're losing. And, and it just really, uh, I admire all of them. I really have great respect for them. I just feel I'm nothing but a jock who somebody gave a microphone for and talk about the game I love. I think you're selling yourself a little short, but I do definitely agree with you that the the work that the play-by-play people do to make it look like it's effortless is just mesmerizing. Oh, it is. It's really, you have to sit there to to be amazed. I'm when I first started and I'm working I'm working my first game basically and the guy's talking in my ear and he said, Hey, don't we're gonna go to commercial I go, Oh, okay. Hey Dick, we're on T V shut up. I mean you people have no it's a, you know, there's some people, Ryan, that I really believe could be good in T V and I recommend them. And as soon as the red light comes on, they're a different person when they go for their auditions. They're a different person. And and I look at the red light I make believe I'm talking to the Ryans of the world, my friends of the world, all my buddies, and I just go off. In fact, the producers always say, why have a meeting, Dick? We're going to have a meeting. We're going to say, do this, do that. And when the telecast starts, you're going to be in another world. And, and that's I, I try to react to what I see. I think there's one thing that troubles me as a sports fan. Forget about a broadcaster. I think in a world of television, I don't know about you, Ryan, but I like to watch baseball, football, all sports. And I think there's over-analysis. I think it gets to a point. I watch a baseball game. Every pitch is dissected, analyzed. The lead-off first base. I used to love the storytellers, man. I used to love the Garagiolas of the world, Phil Rizzuto's and people. We Scotty Connell told me something I will never, ever forget when I first started. After I did my first telecast, and he called me, gave me an evaluation, told me you have no clue how to get in and out, but you have a gift of, you know, you're not afraid to give an opinion, your enthusiasm's off the charts, and all that, your knowledge. He said, we're going to get you a pro. And I worked with a pro, Jim Simpson. He was as good as it gets, Hall of Fame in every way. Jim helped me so much. A lot of people don't know this. He helped me so much in the world of television and doing remotes. And Bob Lee, I can't say enough, he was so young at the time, he took me under his wing and taught me all the ins and outs of working in the studio. But I think in TV, maybe it's just me, I'm bored by the third inning, man. I can't watch anymore. I'm going to go to sleep. It's, it's they, they put me to sleep. Football, every play is analyzed, evaluated big time. We do it in basketball as well. People want to be entertained. Scotty told me, Television is about E&E, entertain and educate. You do your technical stuff, but I think a lot of guys who get fired and they come in a world of television or they are former players, 
they want to play to their peers and they want to do things to excite their peers that, wow, I know the game. In the meantime, 90% of the audience is in Zeesville. <laughs> I, we're, we're not going to top that. There's nothing that I can ask that's going to finish this with a more entertaining answer. So I really do appreciate your making the time for me during your busiest month of the year and wish you 35 more years in this seat. Well, thank you, Rodney. Really nice to you. And I just could close by saying this, people, there's nothing more means more to me than raising money for cancer. I've said it 5 million times, and I'll say it again. If you think you got a problem today, you think you got a problem, there'll be a number of moms and dads today hearing four words that no mom and dad ever wants to hear. I mentioned that in set stories as well, because it's so true. They can hear words, your child has cancer. It's brutal. I spoke at a funeral this summer for a youngster, and just takes your heart out watching his mom and dad put a three-year-old to rest, just rips you apart. So people, please, please help me. Join my team. Go to DickVitale.com, make a donation, or buy one of my latest books, uh, anything. Because every dollar, every dollar, I autograph everything for you. Every dollar goes in my pot. My goal this year is very high. I want $5 million. And we're going to have a great gala on May 8th. We're going to be honoring Mark Few of Gonzaga. We're going to be honoring Bruce Arians, the coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks, Stephen A. Smith from ESPN, Jim Kelly is going to get the John Saunders Award along with Pat Williams for their courage battling cancer, Mitch Album, famed journalist, going to be with us, we're going to give a grant of a quarter of a million dollars in memory of his girl who died of brain cancer, Kevin DeGandhi will be the MC for information in that too as well about the gala, we'll sell out over 900, just go to DickVitale.com. I thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Thank you, Dick. This has been the Glass Half Empty podcast on the big lead. Check out dickvital.com and donate some money for cancer. Thank you again, Dick. We really appreciate it. You're awesome, baby. With a capital A, Ryan, shoot the J, baby.